The following audio is from The Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing good. You're probably looking at this carpet wishing this was in your house. I'm gonna talk about why it's here in a few moments, but I think we all know it just hits different. Am I right? Yeah, so I feel that. Yeah, two of us do. Okay, we'll keep going. Um, hey, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 4 today. If you got a Bible, you can open it up to Deuteronomy. If you're wondering what I just said, um, I said Deuteronomy. Um, uh, towards the, the beginning of your Bible, if you got one with you, you if you got a smartphone with a Bible app, you can look that up as well. And uh, we'll jump into that here in a few moments. We're in a series called This is Church. Today is part two. And um, like I said, we'll get to Deuteronomy here in just a moment. Um, a few, about six weeks ago, my mom visited me. She lives in the Tri-Cities, her and my stepdad. They came by to say goodbye to Em, uh, headed off to college, and she brought like this whole family tree thing printed out and had been doing a bunch of homework on where our family came from and stuff like that. And it was really fascinating to check it out. It was cool to see kind of some of our lineage where we came from. And of course, probably like everybody on the planet, there's a couple of randomly semi-famous people in there somewhere. Uh, but uh, it was intriguing to sort of uh, find out some of those details details, high points, low points, certain connections and stuff. Um, how many of you guys have done something like that? Checked out kind of your family's history? Some of you. Um, again, it's pretty fun. It reminds me of a, a TV show. I can't remember the name of it, but the idea is some random famous person goes back and digs into their history. They go back to their hometown and then sort of wherever it takes them, you know, to other towns, to other countries, they would go back and try to see how far they could go. Some of it was literally hundreds and hundreds of years and certain um, parts of history that were painful and, and meaningful, all this kind of stuff. It's really, really intriguing. It's also the beauty of, of the Bible. And then a lot of times, if you don't understand uh, the Bible and sort of the, the backstory to some of the details of who we are today, if you go back to the New Testament in the Bible and look at what Paul had written and Peter and John and some others about the history of that first you know, century church, the early church, and what happened. In fact, if you read the book of Acts in the New Testament, it really gives you a picture of that history, different missionary journeys, how faith came about in certain areas, regions, cities, things like that, how the gospel got to Rome, and of course, by that then after that, then to Europe. But if you go back even further, you end up in the Old Testament. And sometimes it's real confusing as you read certain prophetic books and wonder like, what are they talking about? And why does everybody seem so angry? Um, and then if you understand where they came from, a lot of times you go back to Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles and these individuals living during that time and saying to a lot of times the nation of Israel, hey, you need to repent, you need to be aware of your behavior. But if you go even further back, it's what we call the Pentateuch or the Torah. It's the first five books of what we call the Bible. And so you're talking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. If you go back to Genesis and you look at Abraham, Abraham was the beginning of God establishing a certain nation. The idea of that nation being chosen or separated out was that they would shine the love and work and glory of God to the other nations and, and eventually to the world. But when you look at Abraham... He was called to leave the Ur of the Chaldees to go to a new place. God said, I'm going to make you into a nation. And then a lot of times, if you know Bible history at all, or if you've been a part of church world at all, you've probably heard this idea, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so 
uh, Isaac comes along as uh, Abraham's son, and then Jacob, and there, there's more history to it than that. I'm doing a major fast forward. And then you get to um, Jacob and, and his sons and the 12 tribes of Israel that were born out of this lineage. And Joseph was one in particular that was removed from his brothers. And again, this is a whole story. It's one of my favorite stories in scripture. I won't get into a lot of it today, but Joseph was removed from his brothers. They didn't like him, sold into slavery, ended up in, in prison more or less, and then could decipher, discern dreams, um, ended up before Pharaoh telling him the meaning of certain dreams and became second in command in all of Egypt. Well, he brings Jacob and the rest of his family to Egypt because there's going to be a severe famine. They live there, they multiply, and they end up in slavery. By the end of Genesis, um, that's kind of the picture. Then you get to Exodus, and Exodus is the, the, basically the exit of Israel from slavery in Egypt by the leadership or through the leadership of Moses. Now, I say Moses, and why am I going through all this? Because I want to talk about Moses for a moment. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers is really that early history that Moses is recounting of all that went on uh, once they were exited from, the, uh, from Egypt. Uh, they were told they would go to the promised land. They could inherit the promised land. The problem was when they left Egypt, it was only meant to be a 13-day journey or walk from where they were to where they needed to be. Think about that, 13 days. It would be like you and me if we decided to take a walk and just kept walking for 13 days. We would end up somewhere maybe about like Moses Lake, which is fitting for this story, right? Okay, but anyway. But I mean, if you're, you could probably maybe make it to Moses Lake, let's say. Okay, um, what happened was instead of it being a 13-day journey to what we would kind of say Moses Lake, they ended up like, well, let's go you know, north on Highway 9. Let's just walk north on Highway 9. And, oh, look, here's Conway. Oh, cool, Mount Vernon. How neat. And then they would go, you know, make a hike trek out to Mount Baker and go around the mountain a bunch of times, Mount Baker and Bellingham and, you know, back down this area towards Everett. They were all over the 40 years. A journey that should have taken them 13 days took 40 years. Now, the reason specifically was because God had said, I have this land for you. You're established as a nation. Here's some of those laws, the parameters by which I'm asking you to exist. And so you have the Old Testament law that was developed during this time. But the nation of Israel over and over, they didn't trust and believe in who God was. So when you get to Deuteronomy, you may have already noticed this if you've ever read the Pentateuch before, the first five books before. The first four is this whole story, and, and then uh, Deuteronomy is almost like a repeat of all that went on. And the reason is because Moses is recounting the history of the nation for the people, and, and as we get to the end of his life, he's basically saying, here's all that God has done. Here's all of these things. He talks about, in, in particular, Deuteronomy 1, 2, and 3, he goes into all this history. And he talks about how God had said to do this and you guys didn't really believe him and you ended up circling the mountain and taking 40 years to, to take a 13-day journey and there were all kinds of problems and yet look at how faithful God is. Look at how big God is. Look at all that God can do. And then you get to chapter four and I, I know this seems a little cheap, but I only wanna take a look at verse nine because verse nine is a great reminder for all of us and it says this, only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget. Everybody say, do not forget. Do not forget. 
Okay, Moses had said, here's all that God has done. Here's how faithful he is. Here's how gracious and awesome and forgiving that your God is. He hasn't given up on you. He hasn't denied you. Anybody ever had kids out there that were like, I just want to disown them. Anybody besides me? Like, honestly, yeah, we're like, come on, just ship them off. We're done. We're good. Forget it. You know, there's moments. And for me, I'm like, how in the world did God not go? I'm done with you people. I'm finished. But he didn't. And it's a story of God's faithfulness. It's a story of God's amazing grace in the midst of their entire history of kind of being monkeys, kind of being idiots about stuff. And so all of a sudden in in verse nine of chapter four, be careful, watch yourself closely so that you do not forget the things that your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Moses says, listen, you guys, don't forget what God has done. Listen, you guys, look at how forgiving he is. Look at how gracious he is. Look at how he identifies with you. Even when things aren't going so well, he refuses to give up. And by the way, there's about eight sermons right here. There's all kinds of encouraging messages to you and to me about not forgetting. Have you ever read Especially as you look at the Old Testament, how the nation of Israel, they're like, we serve God and we love God and we want everything about our lives to revolve around who God is. And, and a couple of sentences later, they're living in rebellion. Anybody ever read that and go, how is that possible? I mean, look at all that God did. And yet, I want you to think about your life and, and my life at times where we're in here today going, you know, I'll praise you on the mountains. I'll praise you in the mountains in my way. God, I'm yours. I want to serve you with all that I am. And then Monday comes. Right, you can read the history of the nation of Israel and feel so annoyed, like, come on. They were that wishy-washy. They they were that quick to deny God. And yet when you look at your life and my life, it's like, yeah, guilty. It's so easy sometimes for our hearts to wander. And the other part of the context of what I'm talking about is that sometimes within a span of a couple of verses is actually a gap of sometimes years and even decades they serve God, they love God. But think about what happens in your life. We get too busy for church stuff. We get too busy for our spiritual journey. We get too busy to consider how we're being developed or who we're becoming. So little by little along the journey, we realize, man, I'm kind of complacent. Man, I'm a little hard-hearted. Man, I gotta repent of this stuff because that's not, that's not good. That's not okay. I love that Moses says to the nation of Israel, remember. And it's a great reminder for you And for me, because when we talk about the scriptures, it's a story of remembering all that God is, all that God has done. But what I love is that, for instance, for us in this context at the Grove Church, we didn't just suddenly appear out of nowhere. We're connected to to 2,000 years of church history and thousands of years of history before that when you look at the scriptures. We're connected to that. Somehow, most of the time in the past, through oral history and the telling of all that God had done and people giving their lives to Christ and being baptized and you know, remembering communion and the cross and all those things, generation after generation after generation, people that moved from certain places felt called to come this direction, to settle in this area, the Pacific Northwest, upper left USA, to get into Marysville and for a couple of individuals to go, we need a church. And in 1932, this church was established. In November 17th, 1932, it was the very first annual business meeting of this church. 
And if you wonder why these things are up here, this right here are all the books of every single one of our business meeting and special meeting minutes from 1932 to 2001 when all of a sudden things went electronic. But it was amazing as I took this journey for us, for us together of reading a lot of this stuff and, and, and sifting through all that kind of happened and decisions that were made. But there's one, one decision in particular in the very first meeting, annual business meeting that happened. I thought it was so poignant. And it simply, simply says this. And I think we have this scanned and on the screen. It's hard to read. It's in cursive. Some of you guys don't even know how to read cursive, but... <laughs> God bless you anyways. It's not typed out. Come on, I had to decipher, get out my decoder ring from the Christmas story. Anyway, um, it says, drink more Ovaltine. No, it doesn't say that. Okay, that was dumb. Nick, stop it. You're, so, you're a dad, aren't you? You're, that's a dad joke. Okay, um, listen to this. Um, a motion was made to elect a young people's leader for the coming year. The motion was seconded and carried um, a nomination of candidates were by ballot. The following three were nominated. Brother Earl Henning, Brother Fred Dalton, and, and, and Brother Chester Daniels. Brother Earl Henning, I love the brother thing. What's up, brother? Okay. <clears throat> brother Earl Henning was elected to the office by a large majority vote. Earl 18, Fred 5, Chester 5. Now, I could read that and you go, so? But you got to understand, in the early 1930s, teenager wasn't a common word at all. In fact, there wasn't a lot of understanding about the idea of like the teenage world like you and I are really familiar with today. We look at, oh, that 13 to 19, 20, 21, kind of college, post-college, that's kind of this window where you're still kind of a kid. But back in the 1930s and earlier, that's not the case. A lot of times it was that you, you get you know, to 12, 13, 14 years old and you're moving into some sort of job, some sort of trade, some sort of career opportunity that allowed you to provide, maybe for your parents. But maybe if you launched out at 14, 15, 16 years old, you're actually providing for yourself. You're actually providing maybe even for a spouse or at least somebody you're interested in. And so way back in 1932, this church was forward thinking enough to go, we care about young people. And I love the history of our church. In fact, I gave my life to Christ in a window of time from 92 to 96. In 92, where my youth pastor was Benny Perez. And something happened here that really was substantial. And I got to experience every bit of it first front row. And I was here when there was, I don't even remember, I mean, six, seven, eight hundred young people gathering on a Wednesday. We had to add a Thursday night to it. People were coming and experiencing the work of God in their hearts. And I was one of those that got to experience these things. In fact, my conversion story is one of encountering God in such a real way that I'm like, all right, I, I got to surrender now. Now that I know that Jesus is for real. But I love how even today we've got Jesse and we've had this, this pa Pastor Jesse and Joy and this passion for young people that we're going, how do we continue to build bridges? In fact, I said a couple of weeks ago, nobody in our community should be content with the problem of suicide and addiction and hopelessness. And our young people are struggling right now. And so we go, what does it look like? And I'm proud to say, and it may be a small beginning, that the very first Wednesday we had 12 young people come for tutoring. This last Wednesday, we had 18 people come to get some tutoring, need some help with school. But our hope is in the vision of doing this is that our young people see that there are people that care about their success and maybe it's getting better grades. But like I said before, it's also noticing, are they having a bad day? Are they going through more than just the need to get better grades? How can we care for them in a way that God cares for us in Christ? This lineage of young people that matter in our community. 
Another story is 13 months later, again, in the same book, 13 months later, the church purchased its very first property. And the best I could tell from what I tried to decipher about our history is that it was, it was somewhere near 4th and Delta in Marysville. That doesn't mean anything to you, but anybody ever driven by Burger King? That's right about where we used to be. And, and it's cool to look at our history because it says that by December of that next year, 1933, we entered into an agreement with a gal. To the ter- Here were the terms, $7 a month for seven years and the property's yours. I know you're like, come on, man. Today, it'd be like, add a bunch of zeros to that whole situation, right? $588, the first piece of property was purchased for. And over and over, I continued reading about bold steps that the church made. That was within 13 months of the church being established at the first annual business meeting. As time went on, we purchased more property over on 8th Street for a bit. And the idea there was to set up a temporary building, more like a tent structure, because the facility couldn't house the number of people that that were beginning to come, and they want to put up this temporary facility. And again, I'm going to fast forward a whole bunch here, but by 1960, um, this piece of property was purchased. 1960-61, this was purchased, and by 1965, this facility was built. The room we're meeting in right now. And over and over, bold steps and the request of people to step up and be part of this journey because there was something about the idea that we can leave a lasting legacy and here you and I are today reaping the benefits of it. I could continue to talk about pastors, masters, and, 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 and Ken Squires. Pastor Masters actually helped oversee some of the, the build out of, of this North Wing that was originally the Fellowship Hall Wing. If you're wondering why this carpet is up here, because every one of my wedding reception photos has this in it. <laughs> and it can be yours for the low price of $29.99 a square foot. <laughs> it boggles my mind that somebody could look at a catalog and go, there it is. <laughs> like angels started, <laughs> in my wedding reception photos. It was built in 1979. Apparently that was the thing. Maybe it's still in your house. God bless you for that. (laughs) Pastor Masters was also responsible for the build out of the office wing. 1986, I think, was when it opened up here where we meet in our offices. Um, it's, it, it, Pastor Ken, when, when he came on, he had this, this vision to actually go, I don't know that it's, you know, this facility's big enough. We're going to relocate. And if you remember, we bought what ended up being 58 acres up north, which we finally sold two years ago next month. But, but his idea and his vision was let's build a, a bigger facility with more parking, but 58 acres, he ended up going, why don't we build a university and why don't we build a Christian school and why don't we have a retirement center and let's put in some ball fields, soccer fields, baseball. It was kind of this idea, let's build everything. And um, I can appreciate the big vision and all, and that's great. But the truth is, as you look at our history, there were bold move after bold move after bold move, and I love that. You look at the, the history of pastors, and there's a whole list. I mean, there are pastors that were here for a year or two or three, and there are pastors that were here for five, eight, 10, 13, 16 years at a time. One of those was Levi Larson. Anybody recognize that name at all, a few of us? Levi Larson was the pastor here originally in the late 1940s, and then he left for a while. Then he came back in 1965 and was the pastor here until 1966, and then he was here until 1978. And by the way, he still attended here when I became the lead pastor and he passed away right about that same time that I ended up coming here. I remember when I first started, 
I was coming down this aisle and his wife Esther was sitting right by this pillar over here and I, I stopped in to say hi to her and give her a quick hug and she had on this, this cool coat. And again, she's easily into her 90s at that point. I say, that's a cool coat. She goes, well, I'm glad you like it. I've had it for 50 years. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll never forget that. But, but Levi and, and Esther Larson, they had this reputation of the, the grace that they showed people, the love that they had. And you look at so many of our pastors. There was one named, um, his last name was Star, and he actually, or no, sorry, his last name was Smith. Edwin Smith, and his wife was Star Smith. The reason it was Smith is because he changed his last name from Asimakopoulos to Smith. I know, for us today, it's like, that's kind of a shame, right? But in fact, his, I believe it's his son or his grandson that pastors on Mercer Island now. Um, but again, connection to hear all these incredible stories of, of great pastors and the love that they provided and the shepherding. And um, I, want, I want you to hear a little bit from a couple of individuals that have attended the Grove Church for quite a long time. Um, and in fact, one of them is sitting over here, Joy Haglin. Um, she was gracious enough to say, yeah, you can interview me. And then Sandy Salisbury, who, who when I started here in 2009, she was actually part of our staff and, and she ran the kitchen and helped us kind of develop the vision for the church as it is today. But here's a quick video um, of just a little bit of their story and their past and some of their memories. So check this out. Well, we were the poorest of the poor. My mom believed in God and we never went hungry. Many times we had cornbread and milk for supper, but it filled us up. But it was, it, it was uh, I didn't realize anything was so bad. I mean, I was a kid. Well, we were better off than that. We weren't rich by any means, but uh, I remember thinking when mom fix a roast and she'd always cut it, cook it, cut it in half and set aside part for another meal. And I remember thinking, when I grow up, I'm gonna eat the whole roast at one meal. <laughs> but you know, she, my parents were frugal. They took care of us. And, He just, he was just a loving pastor. He loved everybody. Uh, I remember every so often he'd be giving a sermon. He'd say, okay, people, pull on your feet because I'm gonna step on your toes. <laughs> and he would. Oh, yes. <laughs> My youngest, she was two when we started here. Mm -hmm. She was about six. And one Sunday morning after service, she went up and she started yanking on his pat leg. And so he'd leave down to see who He says, okay, folks, they were leaving the church at time. And he says, stop for a minute. This little one wants us to pray for her daddy. And so we all stopped and prayed for her daddy. It took him a few more years to get with the program, but Norma Gross called me one day. She, she was one of the special people in the, for me, learning things yeah. when I came. And she called me and I wasn't home and she talked to my husband. And uh, she invited him to church, it was Wednesday. And we'd had some, re we had a missionary coming that night and we'd had some really boring missionaries. <laughs> and I thought, oh God, so I told Kathy, I says, Ron's coming tonight and we have to pray that we have a good missionary. <laughs> and he walked in the door and Watch, waited for the roof to fall in on him, and it didn't. And the lady, I don't know who she was, the missionary, but she was fascinating. And she gave an oral to call, and my husband went forward. Mm. I always thought it'd be nice to have a husband you could study with and could teach me. 
and instead he started reading the Bible and he was asking me questions so I had to learn more to answer his questions so it worked out beautifully. I always remember Pastor Larson as being a man of faith. Oh, amen. He taught faith. Mm -hmm. He taught faith. Well, Pastor Masters, yeah, well, um, yeah. Of course, you know, he lost his boys, you know, in the flood back there. Yeah. And he came, I think, right after that had happened. Yeah, but uh, Pastor Masters, he was definitely a man of compassion, and his life was very open to his people. I mean, they talked about their loss, and and I understand now, I think that's where they're living, is back there where he lost the boys. And, yeah, they're in, they're in South yeah, Dakota. Yeah, and I think he's probably pastoring again. I'm not sure if he, or if he's retired. I think he's, yeah, he's retired. Has he retired? Yeah, because he's getting on up there too. Yeah, yeah. people do that. Yeah, we do I mean, get Especially over. when you're not looking. I know. <laughs> of course, he, uh, she was a real blessing here in the church oh, too. She because was. she had the, she had a memorization program. What did she call that? Meditate and Memorize. Yeah, Meditate and Memorize. And uh, she uh, she was very active here in the church too. Yeah, you know, taught Bible study and we stuff are. like that. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. And they lost everything in the flood except the washer and dryer came through. <laughs> you know, but she said it was a blessing because all those things didn't own her anymore. Yeah, I thought uh, of that yeah. often. Yeah. He was exceptionally good speaker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He was a people person. Yeah. Yeah, very definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he started on a, a subject. He said, that's a subject for, that'll be another sermon down the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember that. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember who it was. Another pastor from another church used our fellowship hall for a big dinner meeting. And I was in the kitchen and he asked me something. I said, well, I don't know, I'm sort of here, I'm not really in charge. And he says, just a minute. And he walked off and he went up to Pastor Ken's office and he came back, he says, you're in charge of the kitchen. <laughs> Pastor said so. So there I was. It's funny because when Pastor um, Larson was here, we had a visiting couple that spoke and they were, they were good for prophecy. And they told me that I'd be one day in charge of a bunch of women. A leader of women, I thought, no way. I knew I was shy and quiet, and I wasn't that all. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me one day, I'm leading people in the kitchen. I'm in charge. <laughs> <laughs> Lord knew what he was talking about, or knew what they were talking about. Well, Sandy, I'm trying to think, when did I come to the kitchen to work with you? Good question. I feel like it's, I've been in there all my life. Uh -huh. That's okay. That's okay. I have um, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, when Pastor Nick came, I, of course, I first looked at him, and you know, you form opinions by just looking at a person, which isn't right. It's, it's not even proper. It's usually not the right. But I thought, boy, he's sure young. Yeah, he's really young. But Pastor uh, Kent was the same age when he started. That's too. true, but I didn't think about Ken yeah. at the time. Yeah. I, all I thought was, now Nick's here, and He's pretty young, but you know, he's he's developed and he's matured and grown oh, yeah. since he's been here. And I feel like that I have grown personally under his ministry. I'm so glad he became our pastor because I, 
he's my favorite pastor. I mean, I love them all, but he's he's brought something, he's brought a new vitality and life to the church. Yeah. He really stresses reading your Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yes, definitely. Definitely. That's, yeah. Yeah. In fact, the church has a program of reading your Bible. Mm-hmm. And frankly, that's what I'm doing. I, I've read the Bible some different times, but I've finished the, New, the Old Testament, and now I'm up into Timothy, for Second Timothy in the New Testament, and I'm going to go ahead and finish that. And of course, the book of James is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that tells me exactly where I'm at. Yes. <laughs> and what I should be doing and not doing. <laughs> There's, there's things that uh, happen, and none of us are perfect, and he's not perfect, and she isn't either, neither are you, and neither am I. <laughs> you know, the church isn't perfect. But uh, God keeps working with us and maturing us, and one day he's coming for us. Well, I want to say thanks to Evan for putting that together. I want to say thanks to Joy as well as to Sandy for taking the time to be interviewed. But my hope is just that you get a little bit of a picture of some of our history for, from a couple of gals in particular that have lived it um, because it is a rich history. And it's always humbling when they got to the point where they want to talk about me. Like, oh, boy, here we go. Um, but thank you for the grace you extended towards me. Um, and I know I used to look young, not so much anymore, uh, a lot more gray. You know, I used to pluck out gray, and now I just had to let it go because I'd have to pluck out half my hair. So... <laughs> That's fun. Um, I also want you to take note, a couple of things real quick. And that is that in the video, they mentioned somebody named Norma Gross and showed her picture. Um, that is Susan Otto's mom. If you know John and Susan, Norma Gross was Susan Otto's mom and she was hilarious. She's like a comedian, great gal, but always inviting people. And I love that she talked about how she invited Sandy's husband to come to church where she talked about boring missionaries, but we'll forgive her for that. Anyway, um, but I love that. I also love how in the lobby last week, um, Mark Stork was, was um, greeting people as, as we were coming in and, and on the way out. And he pulled me aside for a moment and says, you know what? I have a bench from early history. Um, and, and he talked about this bench right here. And he said that this was a bench from his grandmother who was part of a, a, a church here that was planted out of Bethany in Everett to here. And um, she, one day it was kind of ratty looking, I guess, in the lobby. And she said to the pastor, hey, could I have that? And the pastor's like, yep, you could take it with you right now. And so she went and had it reupholstered and it's been in the family ever since. But Mark Sork's mom was part of, or grandmother, excuse me, was part of our fellowship all the way into the 70s when she passed away but she talked about being invited by some individuals that lived in the neighborhood that were driving around and and just wanting to share the love of Christ. And she was invited by a couple of people from the church just driving around looking for individuals that might uh, be interested in coming to church. I think about that because I was invited. And I think about that because most of us in this room were probably invited by somebody. And over and over, the passion for reaching out and building bridges to people who don't yet know Christ and wanting desperately for them to understand the message of forgiveness and grace. And over and over, I think about that as well as in our church, and this is something we value in a huge way, that we are an all the generations church. We, we don't have separate gatherings for certain age groups and, and you know this one for these and this one. We, we don't do that. We want the generations to be together. We understand it means that there's a level of grace extended between the generations because there are people in here that go, well, I don't like this music or it's too loud or why does he dress like that or whatever it might be. And others that go, well, it's not loud enough and I wish they do these kind of songs and more drums would be great. And there's all kinds of random opinions, but here's the deal. 
It's our vision to be a multi-generational church. And this is how I've painted it in the past, that you can be in your 70s or 80s or 90s and look down the aisle at somebody in their teens or 20s and 30s and go, thank God there's a future in the faith because of that. And vice versa, people in their teens or 20s or 30s can look across the aisle and down the way and go look at, see somebody in their 80s or 90s and go, man, I hope someday when I'm that age, I'm worshiping God like that. And so while it takes a certain graciousness from all of us, it's always our goal to be united as a church together. It means concessions, but we're passionate about it because we believe that's who we were called to be from the very beginning. And the reason I bring up all of this, and there's so much more, I can't I barely scratch the surface of it. But the reason I bring all of this up is because we want to be the kind of church that loves kids and young people well and directs them towards Christ. We want to be the kind of church that continues to make bold moves and make a difference in the world that we live in, that if anybody wonders about our filter, it goes like this. If the church closed its doors today, would the community even notice? It's one of the questions we ask ourselves regularly. The kind of church that wants to make sure that people can invite individuals that aren't part of church world and you can understand what we're talking about and be compelled by the work of the Spirit to realize there's a God that loves you like crazy and wants you to respond to that love in Christ. And the kind of church that hopefully there's always every generation represented at the Grove because every age matters to Jesus. At the end of the day, my hope is that it brings us to a place of stopping within our own selves. And first of all, being challenged by the fact that you and I are the recipients of the blessings and sacrifice that the generations before us have made. What does it look like for you and I to lay that same foundation for the generations coming? And I say that as a church together, absolutely, as we cast vision and talk about what God would have us do. But it's also something to consider within your own family that I don't know where your history comes from or where your family lineage existed. But what I know is this, that there's a history and some of that history within our families can be kind of a negative thing and some of it can be an amazing thing. But what does it look like for you to learn from the past and realize that you personally are laying a foundation for the future of your own families? Of the people that know you well, that care about you, that maybe exist in relation to you. And my prayer is that not only do we honor our past, but we realize, yes, we stand on the shoulders of those that have gone before us, but also that somebody someday is gonna stand on our shoulders. And how can we help them accomplish that task and know Christ? Father, today, that's my prayer. That in, in, in the midst of, of a whole amazing history, like Moses lays out, he was saying, don't forget who God is. Don't forget the grace he extends. Don't forget the love he has. And we believe wholeheartedly in a God who cares so much that it's amazing to receive that kind of love, to find that forgiveness, to have life in Christ. Thank you for those that have gone before us directly in the context of this church. But God, let us always remember it's not the building. It's not even the paperwork that makes us a legal entity or even our belief system, although that matters huge. But God, it's us. And then God, what will we do to live for others around us that they can know Christ in the years and decades and, and extended periods of time to come because it does 
matter. Help us reflect on that throughout this week and be challenged by how we live that others can see Christ through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.